Last year, in the, it was about the first of the year, Scott sent out an email to several, and I got one of them, asked if I'd be interested in teaching on Wednesday night, and I said, oh, I'd love to. And he said, I really want you to do a minor prophet. He said, just pick one out. And I was like, okay. And I told him, I said, I'd really like to do Jonah. And he said, you've got two weeks. And I was like, oh, okay. So about the first part of December, we get this email again for the lineup. And he had me listed for February 6th and 13th and covering Deuteronomy. So where I thought four chapters in two weeks was a challenge, 34 chapters is even a bigger challenge. And then I come in tonight, and Scott said, I'm really looking forward to this because he saw my notes, and he said, I want to say you're going to cover five weeks' worth of notes in one night. <laughs> like, okay. So <laughs> right, we're going to be looking at Deuteronomy for the next couple of weeks. Um, again, as Scott has pointed out, um, we're going to be doing overviews of these books. Um, and when I was really struggling last year with, with doing Jonah just in two weeks, Scott had me read some stuff by, by Mark Deaver, and it was, um, he, he explained there's a couple of ways to do expository teaching. One is, which is really my favorite way of teaching, one verse at a time, one word at a time, sometimes a syllable at a time, and, and go through the book. The other is to look at the book and see the themes and teach the themes in depth. And so that, that's, that's what we're attempting to do. That's what I want to attempt to do tonight in Deuteronomy. Uh, the first thing to, to note is to let you know what the memory verse is for Deuteronomy. It's Deuteronomy 6.5. How many of you already know that? Okay, you may know it when you hear it, okay? Here it is. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Now, how many of you know that? All right. You just didn't know the address. All right. Let's rehearse that. In unison. And you always start by, at least I always start by saying the ad address. Deuteronomy 6, 5. You, say it with me. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. That's pretty good. Let's do it one more time. Deuteronomy 6, 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, and with all your might. Excellent. You already have that one down. Now, as we pour ourselves into Deuteronomy tonight and next week, uh, I, I really want to set out first just a brief synopsis of this book, and then we'll start dissecting a couple of things tonight. First of all, when I was looking at this, I, I had thought this before, <clears throat> but I'd never gone back and examined where the name Deuteronomy came from. Well, I did this time. Um... The Hebrew title for this book is actually, These Are the Words. If you look in the Hebrew Bible, the name of the book is These Are the Words. And that's the first two words in Hebrew of this particular writing. The word Deuteronomy comes from, and this is according to John MacArthur, and I think he's pretty trustworthy. Uh, the English title Deuteronomy comes from the Greek Septuagint, and it's a mistranslation of a phrase in Deuteronomy 17, 18, that is actually called, it's, it's, a, it's a copy of this law, is what, the, is what the Hebrew says. The mistranslation in the Latin Vulgate is second law. Okay, so it, it was actually a mistranslation in that. The, 
and I've practiced this word so many times today, in the Latin, and I know I'm going to blow it, Deuteromium, I told you I wasn't going to get it. It's Deuteronomium. That's the Latin word. Okay, that's the best I can do. All right. Um, But it actually translates as second law. Deuteronomy is not a second law. It's a restatement. It's a copy of the law that was given on Mount Sinai by God to Moses, and Moses gave to the people. Deuteronomy is a it's a revisit, it's a, re, it's a recapping of those laws. And it's how many years after the first time it was rendered? You know? It was just a little pop test. Y'all weren't expecting that, so I'm not going to grade you. All right. Deuteronomy is set on the plains of, the, the, the speech of, of Moses is set on the plains of Moab, just across the Jordan River, They've been in a 40-year wilderness trek. Okay. So they, they, they received the law on Mount Sinai from, from God through Moses to them. They went to the promised land. They sent how many spies into the promised land? Twelve. What were the reports? Ten came out with a report of what? Bad. They're giants. We're like grasshoppers. We can't conquer them. Two people, two spies came out and said, let's get them. Who were the two? Yeah, Joshua and Caleb. They were like, let's get them, boys. You know, uh, the people listened to the 10. So they turned away. And God said, guess what? You're on your own. I'm not with you. Wandered for 40 years. So they did. So they're back now where basically the generation that had turned away from God in that first visit to going into the, the, going into the promised land, they have virtually died off. And now the children, the grandchildren are coming back They're ready to go into the promised land and God revisits the law before they go across the Jordan. So that's the context of where we are now. Um, There is, there's a little bit of a difference between Leviticus and Deuteronomy. They're both basically, both same sets of laws. But in Leviticus, the, the, the focus in Leviticus is the priests and the laws. But in Deuteronomy, the focus has shifted. God allowed the shift. God, God caused the shift to the people and the law. So it's a little bit different focus in there, but it's the same laws. Now, we could, we could approach this study in, in a couple of ways that I discovered. One, we can really break down Deuteronomy into three separate sermons. The first sermon is Deuteronomy 1 through chapter 443. This is Moses recounting what God has done for Israel. They have gone from Egypt through the wilderness to the promised land. They reject the Lord's plan to conquer the land. They wander for 40 years, and now they're back. So that, that could be the first sermon in this. The second sermon would be Deuteronomy 4, through 26, 19. And this is what God expects of Israel. And here Moses recounts and revisits the laws, and he explains them to them. The third sermon would be what God will do for Israel. And this is Deuteronomy 27, 1 through 34, 12, basically the end of the book, of prophetic words from God through Moses to the people. Okay, but again, I've only got two weeks, not three weeks, so I can't do this part. Okay, so that's not the way we're going to do this. 
So another way that I found to approach the study of Deuteronomy is to look at, is to see two major themes in the book and focus on those themes. The first theme is that God chooses his people. And we're going to examine the whys and the wherefores of that choosing and of his people. The second theme would be why God's people should choose him and continue to make that choice on a daily basis. So in a nutshell, kind of a big nutshell at this point, um, but in a nutshell, that's, that's the plan. So I wanted you to know kind of where we're headed in this. Now again, this, this book of Deuteronomy, we're going to see that there's a very specific link for the people. And that includes us today in 2013, Greenville, Texas, Cross Point Fellowship. Okay. And that link is this. There is a link between obedience and blessing. There is a definite link in Scripture between obedience to God and his blessings. Now, before anybody gets nervous, I have not dropped off the edge into prosperity teaching. I may have dropped off an edge now and then, but I haven't gone to that part. You know, I'm, I'm not there. Um, so this is not about that, but we're going to examine the truth in God's blessing his people because that's what he says time and time and time again. So that's what we're going to look at. Deuteronomy 28.2. Now, we're going to be jumping around in a lot, so... If you hadn't warmed your Bible up tonight, get it warmed up, get the pages loose, you know, kind of know where you are in it. Do like the old, the old uh, Bible sword thing, start in the middle so you know how far left or right you need to go. And I see a couple of smiles, the rest of you going, what are you talking about? I'll tell you later, I haven't got time tonight. Okay, so Deuteronomy 28.2. All these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. So there's blessings, but there's a condition on the blessing. What's the condition? Obedience. Yeah. If you obey. Now, of this truth, C.H. Spurgeon said, believing and obeying always run side by side. Faith and obedience are bound up in the same bundle. He that obeys God trusts God, and he that trusts God obeys God. He goes on to say then that in the new covenant, though salvation is not by the works of the law, yet the blessings which are promised to obedience are not denied to the faithful servants of God. The curses our Lord took away when he was made a curse for us, but no clause of blessing has been abrogated. I had to look that word up. It means taken away. (laughs) Why well, he didn't just say taken away, but that was Spurgeon. You know, he, he loved words. But basically, it was, you know, the, the curses are taken away by Jesus on the cross, but the blessings are still there. And, and we see that time and time and time again. And that's what we're going to see in Deuteronomy. Um, now, we can ask then, and we're going to deal with this a little bit more in more detail next week, but I just want to introduce it now, to ask the question, what are blessings? What are blessings? They can look a lot different in different people's circumstances. Have you ever thought of poverty being a blessing? Anybody? Can be. Can also be a curse. 
Have you ever thought of being independently wealthy as being a curse? Can be. It can also be a blessing. So, a, a quiver filled with six children. I'm going to look this direction. <laughs> can be a blessing. And I'm not going to ask the other question. <laughs> you know, an empty quiver with no children can also be a blessing. So blessings from God can look, the face of that can be so different depending on the circumstance. So it's, we can't just say, okay, these are all the blessings and these are all the curses. Doesn't work that way. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to dig into that in more depth next week. So be prayed up and be praying for me. Um, one of the things that we can, we can look at, look in 2 Corinthians 12. We're going to be going back and forth between New Testament and Old Testament because I think that's the only way we can do this and, and do it justice. In 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 9, we, we see this discourse from Paul. And Paul says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that I should, that it should leave me. But God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Was the thorn a blessing? How did everybody do this? It was. Why? Because Paul was able to revisit that truth that he knew and he lived that truth that God's grace was sufficient. So something as bad, whatever that thorn in the flesh was, and there's a lot of conjectures what it might be, didn't really say what it was, whatever the thorn in your flesh might be, maybe a blessing from God to help you remember and live the truth that his grace is sufficient. And this wasn't even in my notes, but it jumped in my mind, so I'm going to say it. This is how we can see what, what Brad has taught in James, that we're to consider our trials joy. You know, and you tell somebody that that's going through a trial, and they're like, you've been slapped today? Come here. You know, uh, but then we, we explain that and see how God's, they, they can see how God's grace will carry them through that. It's always sufficient. So, Again, the, our, our blessings are tied in with, with obedience. Now, for God's chosen people in Deuteronomy, Moses revealed a pattern in that obedience and blessing truth that, that I've just been talking about for our enjoying life with God. First of all, he says that reading of God's word opens the door for hearing from God. Now, can we hear from God apart from God's word? Everybody's head are real. I see a couple of nods. I see a couple of head shakes. And we can. But what do we refer to God? What, what do we refer to this as? It's God's Word. It's God's revealed Word. God speaks to us through this Word. Just this last week, I heard someone say, you know, the Bible has mankind's fingerprints all over it, and it's tainted, and it's a mess, and it's... It's misinterpreted and there's mistakes throughout. I don't need the Bible. All I need is God speaking to me. I had a problem with that one. We talked about that for a while. Um, 
I'll wait for God to convince the truth of that to sink in for that individual. But I, I was able to share some things. God's word is what we need. We hear through God's word, through other messengers, through Ben, Scott, Brad, as they preach, through other people, through Scott when he teaches on Wednesday night. Um, hopefully tonight that God is speaking through me and I'm out of the way. That's my prayer. But we need to read God's word. And when we do that, we're hearing from him. The second point that Moses makes in this is that when we hear from God, that enables us to learn to fear him. Why is it important to fear God? Say it again. It's the beginning of wisdom. She gets a gold star on her, on her tag tonight. Good job. It's the beginning of wisdom. Learning to fear God then leads us to follow him. That's what Moses says. The Hebrew people were called to follow God out of Egypt. Was it necessary? No, that's not what I wrote down. What was necessary for the people to follow God out of Egypt? What had to happen? Hmm? They had to trust him. What else did they have to do? They what? Now, Pharaoh had to fear him. What about, the, what about the Hebrew people? Did they need to fear him? Yeah, they did. The, it took the 10 plagues, all 10 of them, for the Hebrew people to see the power of God, the majesty of God, the sovereignty of God, his protection of them. They needed to see that power so that they would walk through the gates of Egypt and go out into the wilderness, into the unknown. Now, we can get really comfortable where we are. You know, even making bricks without straw. We can get comfortable with that. But when we see God moving and it's into an unknown, it's like, mm, I'm not sure I want to go there. They had to see God and they had to fear God in order to follow him. Now, we know as we read through the book, they didn't follow him very far before they started saying, um, maybe we ought to go back. You know, this isn't such a great deal. So even though they feared him and got out in the wilderness, eh, they still wanted to go back. So, but that's an essential, and we still need that today. Deuteronomy 31, verses 12, through, 12 and 13. Turn there real quick. Deuteronomy 31, verses 12 and 13. And we see this principle laid out by, by Moses in this, in this verse, these two verses. Assemble the people, men, women, and little ones, and the sojourner within your towns, that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God and be careful to do all the words of this law and that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land that you're going over, to, over the Jordan to possess. So he says twice in that that there is a necessity to, to learn and fear the Lord. God's word is absolutely fundamental for our very existence today as well as it was in the time of Moses. It is through God's word that we hear from God and in hearing from God, we learn to fear God and in fearing that awe of God, we then learn to rightly follow God. Because if we didn't have that contact with God, 
You know, how easy would it be? Well, I'll answer it for myself. If I didn't have that relationship with God and know who God was and have that awe of God, it'd be real easy for Morris to just get real self-sufficient. It'd be real easy for me to do. Okay. And anytime I venture that way, God reminds me pretty quickly that, one, he really doesn't need me to do the stuff that he needs, that he's doing. <laughs> I'm just kind of a, an add-on sometimes as he chooses. Um, but I know absolutely that I need him. Because when I get out on my own, I make a mess of things every single time. Uh, Deuteronomy 32, 45, just a couple of verses over from where we just looked. When Moses had finished speaking all of these words to all of Israel, he said to them, take heart or take to heart all the words by which I am warning you today that you may command them to your children and that they may be careful to do all the words of this law. For it is no empty word for you, but your very life. And by this word you shall live long in the land that you are going over to the Jordan to possess. Now, we, again, we see the people that Moses, we see that Moses was telling the Hebrew people, it's an essential for them to be obedient to God. You know, don't just know the law, keep it, live it, walk in it, bathe in it constantly. Teach it to the next generation. Why? Because they didn't see, you know, the next generation didn't see the plagues. The next generation in the promised land didn't see the wilderness truck. They didn't see that for 40 years they walked and they never wore out their shoes. I don't think there's people, well, there's not very many people in here. There's a few people that are 40 years old in here. But have you had the same shoes for 40 years? No. <laughs> you know, I've got a pair of boots that are 37 years old. It's close. But I've had eight soles and heels put on those boots. You know, and I didn't walk everywhere. I mean, I just wear those periodically. Um, but yeah, their, their, their shoes didn't wear out for 40 years. Their clothes didn't wear out for 40 years. They didn't go hungry. They saw the manna every morning. They saw, or they lived being knee-deep in quail. You know, I thought about that. You know, the third day of that had to stink in the wilderness with quail because they couldn't eat them all. Whew, that'd be bad. Anyway, but we see that Moses is telling the people it's an essential for them to be obedient. It's an essential for us to be obedient today as well. It is still as important in 2013 on February 6th in Greenville, Texas. It's that essential. Now, this relationship with God through our obedience to his design is the only path that leads us to four things. First of all, being reborn in Christ. Flip to the New Testament. 1 Peter 1, verses 22 and 23. First Peter 1, verses 22 and 23. Having purified your souls by the obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. Okay, secondly, living in that obedient relationship with God, we are made to be Holy. And again, 2 Peter 1, verses 3 and 4. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness 
through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Okay, so we are made holy through Christ in our lives, through our obedience. The third thing is that we're sustained to glory. Back to Deuteronomy 8.3, He humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Okay, so we're sustained to glory in God. <clears throat> the fourth point in this relationship with God through our obedience is that there's a contentment in him. Psalm 19, verses 7 through 10. Just listen. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Yes. Psalm 19, verses 7 through 10. couple of points in this in, in terms of who God is because uh, I said we we're going to look at one of the over, overriding themes and the, one, the first overriding theme and all this is just kind of preliminary introduction Okay, now we're going to get to the meat of it God chooses his people God chooses his people now how can we say honestly that God chooses what evidence do we have in scripture that God chooses Uh, you're going to have to talk louder. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, we see throughout Scripture, first of all, God chose to speak creation into existence. Did he need to do that? He chose to do that. God chose to allow potential for sin and evil. He chose that. He chose to make Adam and Eve already knowing they were going to blow it. Now, I love Ben's point not long ago that where he had wondered how long they made it in the garden before sin entered. You know, I used to think, well, it could have been 100 years, 200 years. I never thought about it being two days. (laughs) It's very possible. We don't know. We don't know how long they were there. But it wasn't long in at least in eternal time, we know that, before they blew it. But God chose to create them anyway. And even before he chose to create them, or before he created them, he had already chosen a redemption plan. Knowing that they were going to mess up, knowing that they were going to need to be redeemed, And he chose that. God chose Abram. What in the world was special about Abram? 
Was he a, was he a worshiper of, of Yahweh when God chose him? No, he is a moon worshiper. Okay. Was he better than his brothers? Doubt it. You know, it was because God chose him. God chose Moses. And why did he choose Moses? Pretty much the same reason. Because God chose him. You know, I didn't realize it until today. Um, a number of years ago, I think it was, Scott, when did we go to Kazakhstan? Was that 2008? Seven? Somewhere around in there. Ella was standing up, 2006. She was standing up in the crib. So we, we saw that picture the first day, one of the days we were over there. And Scott had, you know, every night he would put the headphones in and he was listening to Maximum Klein and the Listener's Bible. And I've started listening to that and I really like it, but I really think Scott was listening to that to drown out my snoring. Maybe, I don't know. But I was listening to Max McLean again today in my pickup and I was, I was going through, I was listening through Exodus today as I was driving and something I never realized until today. Moses was Aaron's younger brother. Did y'all know that? Okay, I blew that. I didn't know that. Because it said that Moses was 80 when he went into back to, to Egypt, and Aaron was 83. So, so God chose the younger brother, and we've seen that theme throughout Scripture too. He chooses the younger over the older sometimes. Why? Just because he did. God chose the Hebrew people. <clears throat> and sitting here tonight, if you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, God chose you. you know, we didn't just get together sometimes and say, you know, let's go find God. No, it's, it's a choice. And as we devote ourselves to the truth of God's Word, often we find that that Word challenges things that we've learned earlier. Sometimes our paradigms that we've clung to for so long get rattled a little bit. (laughs) Sometimes those paradigms get shattered. (laughs) As when Ben, several years back, got to John 6.44. That was a paradigm-shattering series and and truth that God revealed for a lot of people. Uh, A lot of people prayed through that, stuck it out. There were some people that didn't. That's sad. Um, But we'll we'll trust God to do what God's going to do. We need to ask ourselves this next question, though. Who is this God that's doing the choosing? Who is God? There can be many gods in our society that people focus their their attention on. Just let's name some of the gods that could be in our our society. Who who are some of the gods that, the small g gods? Hmm? I'm not understanding what you're saying. Allah, thank you. Sometimes my hearing aids are, you know, I just, sorry. If y'all understand what Deborah said, y'all, we'll just keep going like I understand. You know? All right, could be Allah. Who else? Yeah. Now, you stepping on toes now, brother. No. <laughs> it could be our entertainment. It could be TV. It could be books. Heroes. Yeah. Sports Heroes. They can become, they, you, anything basically we put up on a pedestal. What about your job? 
Could your job be your God? I'm going to start meddling again. Could your children be your God? I'm not seeing any heads move. <laughs> they can be. They can be. Um, basically, anything that takes the place of, of Yahweh, the one true God, can be our God. Our, our marriage partner could be our God. I mean, all of that's possible. But the God who chooses is the one true God. Deuteronomy 32, 39. Here the text says, See now that I, even I am he, and there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. There is none that can deliver out of my hand. Jeremiah 10.10. Just listen to this passage. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. At his wrath, the earth quakes and the nations cannot endure his indignation. Now, one other one, John 14, 6, where Jesus himself says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. What was the first one? Um, Deuteronomy 32, 39. Then Jeremiah 10, 10, and then John 14, 6. Jesus' statement, and throughout the scripture, there are so many satellites where God refers to himself as the one true God. That puts us in our, in our Christian faith following God. I don't know if you've ever heard it phrased like this before. But that puts us in a position of being absolutely intolerant. Have you ever thought of yourself as being intolerant? When Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am, and, and the original content, the original text refers to I am the only way. I am the only truth. I am the only life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If there is one way for anything, folks, that is intolerance. But it's God-designed intolerance. It's not my attitudes. It's who God is. Um, and and uh, that really came, came home to roost one time. Kendra and I have finally developed, you know, we finally got a computer a number of years ago that could get on the internet and when we did, we got this family-friendly protection program. I don't remember what it was called now. Um, but I went through, and I was going to go to, I think I was going to go, I was go to Spurgeon's website. I was doing a Bible study, and it wouldn't let me go. I couldn't get to it. And then I thought, well, I'll, I'll, I'll go to Gateway Bible. And I couldn't go. And I was going to go to another one, and it wouldn't let me go. And I was like, I can't do Bible studies on my computer now. And so I started looking through the filters, and it had filtered all intolerant sites. You know, and the Bible was listed as an intolerant, you know, anything regarding Christianity was, was considered intolerant. Why? Because there's only one way. 
No, but that's what God says. So the one true God is literally that. He is the one true God. And if someone calls me intolerant, I'll smile and I'll say, yes, I am, because God is. There's not multiple ways to heaven. There's one. So it's the one true God. This God that chooses also is the sovereign God. How would you define the word sovereign? And remember when you speak, you got to speak loud so I can hear you. Overall. Overall. Okay. What else? Ruling. Ruling. Okay. All powerful. When, God's, when God created the universe, how did he do it? Spoke it. How much effort does it take for me to say, let there be light? Didn't take any effort. And it took God even less effort. You know, for God to do everything that God does takes no more effort than drawing your next breath. For me, that's the definition of sovereign. Blinking an eye. Didn't take any effort. And for God to do everything that God does as sovereign God, it takes more effort than, no more effort than that. Deuteronomy 3, verses 2 and 3. And Moses said, But the Lord said to me, Do not fear him, for I have given him all of his, and all of his people and his land into your hand, You shall do to him as you did to Sihon, the king of the Amorites, who lived at Heshbon. So the Lord our God gave into our hand Og also, the king of Bashan, Bashan, and all his people. And we struck him down until he had no survivor left. You know, the Hebrew people didn't go in and do that because they were great warriors. The Hebrew people went in and did that because of who God was. And it was no effort for God. And God delivered them into their hands. Acts 4.24 says, And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. We see that sovereignty in God defined in that way. He made everything. Everything. Now the next question to consider, first of all, was who, who is this God that chooses? The second one is, why did he choose this people? Why did he choose the Hebrew people? We already talked about why did he choose Moses? Why did he choose Abram? Were the Hebrew people anything special in and of themselves? Yeah, everybody do this. They didn't. They weren't. We see in, in Deuteronomy 4, verses 37 and 38, revealed, at least in part, why he chose them. And Moses said, because... He loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence by his great power, driving out before you nations greater and mightier than you to bring you in and to give you their land for an inheritance as it is to this day. Note this, it was for his purpose. He didn't choose them because they were something great. In fact, he chose them because they were not so great. They didn't have a mighty army. They did that so that through them, God could drive out the nations that had inhabited the land in order to bring them in. It was God's choice. 
Now, what did his people receive? What did these chosen people receive? He had promised them a number of things. What are some of the things that they received from God? Protection. Protection. The law. Yeah, they got the law at Sinai. They got it revisited here on the plains of Moab. So they got the law. In Deuteronomy 31, verses 10 and 11, Moses commanded them, at the end of every seven years, at the set time in the year of release, at the Feast of Booths, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. They got the law. Okay. So, what else did they get? What did he promise them? Land. Yeah, they got land. They were going in. Okay. Deuteronomy 11, verses 10 through 12. For the land that you are entering to take possession of it is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you sowed your seed and irrigated it like, the garden of, like a garden of vegetables. But the land that you are going over to possess is a land of hills and valleys, which drinks water by the rain from heaven, a land that your Lord your God cares for. The eyes of the Lord your God are always upon it from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. Okay, so they got the law. They got land. What else did they get? Huh? His presence. Deuteronomy 31.6. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. His presence. It's huge. What did he say whenever they turned away from the promised land? In the wilderness track. I'm not going with you. No. Going into the promised land, they had the, had the presence. The fourth thing that I wrote down that he's got is descendants. That they got was descendants. Children. Deuteronomy 10, 22. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons. And now your God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. Okay. So 430 years, 70, and if you double it and double it. I started to do that this afternoon. I thought, I don't want to do that. How many times do you have to double it to get to, you know, some scholars believe they, there were like 2 million people that, that went into, into the promised land. Now, how many times do you have to double 70 to get to 2 million? I don't know, a lot, you know, but God did it. So God promised them descendants. And as I, was, as I was writing that this afternoon, I just added that in. <laughs> I remembered a conversation with Jeff Collins. Some of you remember Jeff. He was one of the elders here. Um, he was one of the 12 people that came from Ridgecrest Baptist Church as seed families out here when it was Bethel Baptist Church. And it was just a beginning thing 11 years ago. 10, yeah. Yeah, but 11 years ago when all this started. Um, and Jeff told me that when he and Darcy came out here, their children were the only children in this, in, in, in those two buildings over there. And that Jeff would consistently walk through the halls and through the rooms asking God to bless this place with children. <sighs> 
thought about, yeah, he got you. Uh, somebody told me the other day, said, would you mind calling Jeff? And ask him if he could just kind of back up a little bit. You know? No, we're not going to do that. You know, God has, but we've seen that kind of blessing here at Crosspoint. That, you know, one year there's 14 babies born, the next year there's 16, another year there's 17. One year there's all girls and there's all boys. And I mean, it's just, it's just an amazing thing to watch. So God blessed the people with their descendants, with children. Okay. And we still see that blessing today. Uh, and I hadn't planned to do this, but if y'all hadn't heard, Kenner and I are new grandparents. Okay. <laughs> We, we got one of those little babies. We got pictures we'll show you later, but not right now. No, I'm not going to put it up on the screen. <laughs> I would, I'm not going to do that. All right, now, to, to kind of wrap this up. Ooh, yeah, I got to wrap this up. We need to see again that Moses, in his life and his dealings with the people, is a shadow of what we see in the new covenant in Jesus Christ. And God's dealing with his people, the Hebrew people, and bringing them into the promised land is just a shadow of what we see God doing through Jesus Christ in our lives in the new covenant. We see that in this way. In Deuteronomy 6.23, Moses said, He brought us out from there, talking about out of Egypt, and he, that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give our fathers. God brought his people out of Egypt so that he could bring them into the promised land. Under the new covenant in Jesus Christ, we are blessed with Jesus bringing us out of the darkness of sin so that he can bring us into the light of Jesus himself. In 1 Peter 2.9, see God's, God's word tells us, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you might make proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. In Ephesians 1, 3 through 6, love this passage. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, he promised land to a people. And he brought them out of bondage into freedom, out of Egypt, into the promised land. That's a shadow of what happens in the, under the new covenant. We're given life through Jesus Christ and we're given freedom from the bondage of sin. Galatians 5.1 says, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. It was through Jesus that we're set free. It is through Jesus that we have life. And again, Moses and God dealing with his people is a shadow of what we see in the New Testament. It, it moves us to the, the, the reality of what Jesus did. Okay.
time to go. Ben's got kids uh, that he's ready to get to pass off. I didn't, I didn't say get rid of. He's ready to pass back off. Um, next week, we're going to be talking about why God's people should choose him. We're talking about blessings and curses that we see in Scripture. So let me pray for us, and we'll be dismissed. Father, we bow before you and thank you for the truth of your word that's revealed. And Father, it's my prayer that the Holy Spirit will speak to each of us in your word. Help us apply that truth to our life. For Father, the truth unapplied doesn't do anybody any good. It doesn't bring you glory. Father, as we apply that truth, as we walk in obedience, as we walk in your blessings, whatever those blessings look like, Father, help us then share those blessings with others. For because you loved us, we can love others. Because you forgave us, we can forgive others. Because you give us life, we can share with others what that life is. Father, I pray your blessings upon each family that's here tonight that's represented. I pray that you go with them and keep them safe. Father, give them a blessed week and help them know that those blessings come from you. It's in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen.